This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the, of course, this is the show where you come for the accents and the slaying of uh, Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> and you stay for the principles. And you guys are awesome. I've, I've had a lot of interaction with you over the last couple of weeks and loads of new people listening to the show and a lot of people who, because of the speaking tour coming up, have, you know, found the show as well. And, you know, you one of the reasons I think I'm unique in the sense is I love when you guys insult me. And I got, I'm thinking of doing this segment where you guys give me the best insult for me and I'll share it each week. There's, you have to make me laugh. That's all the criteria is. And this week someone called me, I look like Butterbean. I, I cannot tell you how funny I found that. I, I That was the best insult I have had in a long time. And when I say insult, it's because I was actually offended because I was like, look at my pecs and look at his. Mine are a lot better. Mine are a lot more defined. Mine are a lot. That's solid. Just saying. But today's going to be an interesting show because I'm going to try and keep my cool this week because we've had a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months where I've been nice and mellow and, you know... Oh yeah, everything's fine, don't worry about it. Today, not so much, because we got to talk about some serious things. But today what I want to talk to you about, to lay the foundation for the rest of the show, is I want to take a step back and talk to you about life in general. And I want to talk to you about what people's narratives are, and what people are trying to get from their narratives. Because if you look at the debate, always in elections... You'll always see this great debate of, oh, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And always you'll see all the politicians, whether you're left or right anymore, there is no difference. They'll all talk about, hey, what we need to do is, you know, a growing, vibrant middle class. And this is my plan to make the middle class grow. The truth of the matter is, there are many reasons the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. There are many different reasons. Some are good and some are bad. Some are good in the sense that they have access to different people. You know, if Glenn Beck has an idea, I guarantee you Glenn's going to pitch it to a lot more people. He's going to, hey, I've got this idea. A lot of people are going to go, he's Glenn Beck. I'll talk to him. Whereas if someone like me comes up and goes, I've got this great idea, I'm not getting those same meetings. Now, we can moan and bitch about that. We can complain about that. We can go, oh, that's not fair. Glenn gets more meetings than just the way life is. This There is a hierarchy. Oh, did you use that word? Yeah, I used that word. There's a hierarchy in life. 
Now, what the thing is, do you have to accept it? No one says you have to accept it. Prime example is, just to make this about, you know, just give you the full example of life. I'm doing a speaking tour in January for nine weeks. I guarantee you there's more people interested in listening to Glenn Beck than me. Likewise, you know, whether you like him or not, there's more people interested in hearing from Donald Trump than me. Does that mean that I'm less of a speaker? No. Does that mean I'm less important? No. But that means the supply, the supply and demand is different. And you can either moan and bitch about that, or you can go, I need a government regulation. The same amount of people should want to listen to me as Glenn, or as me as Trump, or me as Nancy Pelosi, or maybe, maybe I should be, maybe I actually should use the government. I could just do it one of Hillary Clinton's 500 grand speeches. That would set me for life. I would, can you imagine you speaking? I would do with half a million dollars just to speak in front of a few bankers? Going, you're corrupt, you're corrupt, you're corrupt. And the best thing is, I, you wouldn't have to release my transcripts. I could go in there and kiss all their butts and go, oh, you're brilliant. Oh, Goldman Sachs, love you, man. Love me some Goldman Sachs. No one would ever know. I could say, you know what? Socialism is the best thing since sliced bread. You would never know because the transcripts are hidden. You know, that's the way Hillary Clinton rolls. But we all have narratives. And one of the things that does differentiate the rich and the poor is their narratives. Their narratives of how they see life. We spoke about this, what, two months ago when I spoke to you about mindsets and limiting beliefs? There are people out there who literally think anything they touch is, turns to gold. Oh, I touched the table. The table is now made of gold. I'm, I'm just awesome. I'm wonderful. Just how look how great am I? And there are people out there who go, I'll never do anything. Oh, poor me. I can't do anything. And the reason this is, is because of the narratives they tell themselves. Or the narratives they buy from other people. Narratives are incredibly important. Because you either have a set of beliefs or you don't. The difference between rich and poor is, we all can do things when things go well. Let's just make a simple example and then build it up to give you a parable. Everyone listening to this, at some point in their life, has likely tried to lose weight. With varying different levels of success. Do you know what the difference is between the people who lose weight and the people who don't? They all lose it to a certain point. And then they hit a stumbling block or they hit a plateau or they have a really bad week where, you know, they had to work a lot of hours or their their cooker went on fire or something went wrong. And then that week they had like three takeaways or four takeaways. And there may be a legitimate reason for it. But what happens is with the person who has got that limiting belief or that inner belief that says, we're going to do this, we're going to lose weight. Or this narrative that says, I must lose weight. Guess what happens? They keep going. Yes, they hit that plateau. Yes, they have that setback. But that doesn't stop them. They just keep seeing the end goal. The people who don't have a good set of limiting beliefs or a good narrative, they hit that plateau or they hit that narrative and they go, oh, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I'll never lose weight. Yeah, I give up. And that is the difference. It's the same in business. If you've ever been around a sales meeting, it's amazing listening to the different attitudes. You know, many times you're sitting in a sales center or a call center or, you know, face-to-face sales where, you know, hey, I've got this product. Hey, I have these ear pods. They're great. They're wonderful. You want to buy them? They're awesome. They're really cheap. They're, you know, they're good value. They have three hours worth of battery time. Do you want to buy them? No. Other people go, that's okay. Thanks very much. Because they know that no means I'm that one step closer to that yes. They don't see the stumbling box. They don't see, hey, I have to get from here to there. 
And look at all these things that are in between me and getting my goal. They just see the goal. And they go, okay, fair enough. Move on. We all tell ourselves different narratives in life. We all believe something. We all believe some good narratives about ourselves. You know, I'm a good person. I'm a bad person. I'm a nice person. I'm a good-looking person. I've got wonderful hair. I've got a great personality. We all tell each other a certain version of a narrative, whether it's ours or whether it's someone else that they've imparted on us. But we also need to understand narratives can be very bad. We can believe so much bullcrap about ourselves, so much things that we think society deem as important, but they're really not. I want to give you a couple of examples that are I've recently understood and found out about myself that are complete bullcrap. One of them. 2003, 2004, I used to be a lot fitter. I used to lift a lot of weights. Way, 2003, 2004. Late 2003, I did one knee. I had I did major damage to my, I think it was my right knee. And then literally a year later, I did massive damage to my left knee. I never thought I'd squat again. Even when I went back to the gym, I never did leg work. Why? Because I was in the back of my head. That narrative was there going, you've done major damage to your knees. It's not worth it. Don't squat. Don't do any leg work. Just look, just work on your chest and try and get fitter and try and lose some weight. But don't do anything heavy on your legs. You're, you've too bad knees. Your knees can't take it. Your knees, your knees will buckle. I built this narrative, built this narrative up. But because of the training and because of my new goals, all that narrative has been dismissed because I need to squat a lot of weight. Eight weeks ago, I was squatting 20, 44 pounds. I'm now squatting 264. Not to make, hey, look how great I am. But I smashed that narrative. We all have these narratives. We have this narrative of what you can and can't do. Oh, you don't, don't do that. We have this narrative of, you know, you see this. And this is proven out in psychology, by the way. It's not called narratives. It's called different things. But you see them in syndromes. Where you have, you know, last child syndrome. First child syndrome. They act a certain way. Why is that? Because they're believing a certain narrative about themselves. Oh, the narrative, I'm just big boned. I'll just always be overweight. I'll always be this. Oh, I couldn't go for that job or couldn't do that. Why? Because it's just not me. I, I'm not skilled enough. I'm not talented enough. They've bought this narrative that's in the back of their head. Narratives are incredibly powerful. If you look at the successful people, they have this narrative that goes, I don't care. I'll fail 10 times. That's fine. I'll, I'll be successful on the 11th time. It will suck to fail 10 times. But I'll fail like everyone else, but I will be successful. It won't stop me because my narrative is success. My narrative is I'm going to get to my goal. My narrative is I'm going to win. That is the difference in many ways why there's rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Now, why did I start talking to you about narratives? Because I want to talk to you about America. I want to talk to you about what is America's narrative? What is America's narrative? What is the narrative you tell each other every day? What is the narrative that you're projecting to the world right now? You see, the problem that I have and the frustration I have is, how do I say this rightly? My friends on the left, and I don't mean, oh, they're all socialist, communist, they all, no. I've got friends on the left who are very reasonable people. The reason you don't hear from them very often is why? Is because every time they actually speak up, they get shouted down by everyone. The right will project on them, oh, you're a lefty, you're a socialist, communist, hippie. And their leftist friends, when they actually speak out in moderate sense, they jump on them going, what do you mean you're, you're not progressive enough? 
And they just go, you know what? I've got my own life. Screw it. I'm not talking to any of you. Because you jump on me because I'm a lefty, quote-unquote. And you jump on me because I'm not, quote-unquote, crazy. Because I'm not progressive. And, hey, let's burn down the streets. Yeah! So they just go, I'm getting on with my own life. Likewise on the right. There are reasonable people on all sides. But what I have found, and I've said this for years upon years, is that the left and the right will say similar things about America's narrative. They will say... America's good and America's bad. The difference is you actually flip the way you talk. You see, my friends on the left will, will gloss over what they think America's positive impact on the world is. Whereas they'll just focus on the sins. They'll focus in on the bad things. And only what frustrates me is only certain bad things. But my friends on the right tend to gloss over the bad stuff and go, Hey, we're America. We're awesome. Yeah. If you actually could actually have a conversation and merge the two opinions, you could go, hey, we've done really good in the world. We've done a lot of good stuff. We've done bum, 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 bum. We went to the moon. Look at how much we've advanced. There's a reason people want to come here because of liberty and because of free markets and because of, you know, getting more richer. You have more chance for success. But we also have to acknowledge that there's a lot of bad in our past. There's a lot of bad things that we do. That is our narrative. But the idea of America that is so inspirational, that can inspire everyone is, it's not about where we are. It's not about where we've been. It's about where we're going. The narrative of that your founding fathers, as we celebrate Constitution Day, the idea was always forward projecting. If your founding fathers had a bad narrative, your country would not exist. Because a bad narrative would have said, yeah, right, you're going to beat Britain. <laughs> yeah, see ya. But also, you would have fought, failed at so many stumbling blocks. After so many of those defeats in your Revolutionary War, you would have went, ah, you know what? Not worth it. But America's narrative that your founding fathers created and crafted and shared and that Thomas Paine wrote about in that American crisis was, yes, there's going to be bad times. Yes, but we're not sunshine patriots. We're winter soldiers. We keep going. Because we don't look at all the stumbling blocks. We don't look at where we've been. We're just focused solely on where we are going. But then that even happened after your Revolutionary War. After your Revolutionary War, you beat England. You beat England rather, you know, in, in this historical sense, rather quickly. In the, in the literal sense, it was a long war. But in, you know, in, in the context. But then it took you... From 1776 declaring your independence to 1787, 11 long, grueling, and, you know, because where the Constitution was in Philadelphia, in many cases for a lot of people, sweltering hot. Whoo! I, I don't know this because I'm from Ireland and we has we think 70 degrees is sweltering hot. So, But apparently that summer, if you read all by all accounts, it was really hot in Philadelphia. You took 11 years. Again, why was that? Because your founders were built on a narrative of not seeing all the problems, not seeing the roadblocks, not seeing, oh, well, we can't do this, or this state won't go along, or this state won't play ball, or here's Alexander Hamilton going, let's all have a king. Oh, shut up. They built it and said, you know, no, we're going to focus on where we're going. We're going to get this constitution ratified. And then they got the constitution. And then it took another four years to get the Bill of Rights. Why is that? Because your founding fathers built a narrative about America. America that is built on a promise. You want to know why certain things happen in your country? You want to know why Martin Luther King is so successful and so revered? Because he didn't seek to tear anything down. He sought to build things up. 
He spoke about your founding fathers, that they wrote a check. And it's time we cash that check now. Look around at that. Look around at what you're seeing today in the media. Look around at what you're seeing in your culture. Look around at what you're seeing on social media. Is anyone telling a positive narrative about America? Because you see, one of the problems that I think we have, and it's totally understandable, and I get my frustration with my friends on the right. I get frustrated with them, but I understand what they're doing. But it's why I need to do what I'm doing. Because what you have been told, your narrative is, you love America. You love and understand America. You love America because of all the opportunities it has given you. And you've been beaten down for the last 15 years on social media. Oh, America sucks. America's racist. America's warmonger. And you're just going, no, I don't suck. We don't suck. Look at all the things we have that other countries don't have. But what we need to do, we need to get that narrative back on track. It's no longer okay to say, no, we don't suck. We have to make the narrative about America, about why you don't suck. We need to share the narrative of why you're an exceptional nation. It's time to share the narrative of a real America. And I'm going to do my part. That's why I'm coming over for nine weeks. I'm not talking about your politics. I have no intention to mention 2020. No intention of all the speeches to mention Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Republican or Democrat. I want to talk to you about your history and your narratives. And that's what I'm going to do. But there's a reason I spoke to you for 16 minutes about narratives. Because I want to talk to you about what has been pushed today. What narrative has been pushed today? And what are the consequences? And what are the results we are seeing right now that are really, really bad? So what a narrative is been shared in America right now? Well, let's talk about one of them, shall we? This idea that the police are systematically racist. That this police force... And I hate using this word, but I'm going to use it because it has to be said. You know, let's deal with all the facts and let's deal with the insults as where they come and address them. That police are nothing but pigs. That every policeman is part of a racist unit. And it doesn't matter whether you're black or white or Hispanic. You can be the color of the rainbow for all they care. The minute you put on that blue uniform, you trade in your race card. You're no longer a pure black person. You're no longer a pure, pure woman. You're no longer a pure Latina. You're no longer a pure Asian. No, no, you're blue. You're the enemy. And you're the enemy and we must crush you. This narrative. What's it doing? What are the results of this narrative? You know, in a country of 330 million people. With approximately 44 million black people. It's time to start talking about the real issues. In a calm and constant way. Because if we don't, we are going to destroy each other. We will literally be Cain and Abel once again. We may not use stones. 
but we'll use something. We'll find something. There'll be a gun, be a stone, it'll be a bow and arrow, it might be a knife, maybe even our own bare hands. But we need to call out these phony narratives that we see as utter, utter bullcrap. Yes, I said it. Because this narrative that's going around in your country, in your culture, and is spreading around the world of that basically police are lynching black people in the street is factually not true. What frustrates me is that we pay credence to idiotic and stupidic ideas. Stupid ideas. And we don't talk with honest actors. Honest actors who actually genuinely cared about black people would have done something similar to what I did last week. And would have went, we have this grievance. And here's the grievance we have. We don't have it against people. We're going to judge everyone by the content of the character. But here's a law we find egregious. And it invertedly or advertedly affects black people. It affects them in a very disproportionate way. It's the reason so many of our black brothers and sisters are in jail. And that we don't think this is right. And we're calling for its removal. In a calm, logical world, most people could have a sit down and conversation about that and go, you know what, actually, maybe even let's give the benefit of the doubt. Let's give the benefit of the doubt and say that there was the best intentions, which we just spoke about last week. It clearly was, and it was all about politics. But let's just give them the benefit of the doubt, something that they never give us, and say, benefit of the doubt, they had the best intentions in the world. That law has not worked. But instead of actually doing that, instead of actually going, you know what, government actually got this one wrong. Heaven forbid a government around the world should put its hands up and go, you know what, we screwed up. We screwed up, let's fix it. Instead of actually government doing that, instead of the media actually holding government to account, going, we got this one wrong. Now let's change it. Let's actually work together. Nah. Now let's actually use it to destroy people. Let's use it to tear down a system. Let's use it to take people out. And sadly, when you build a narrative and you start telling this anyone who will listen, some people will start to actually listen to you. If you tell anyone, I guarantee you, if you walked out on whatever street you're on right now and you spoke to every person and said, the world is flat, the world is flat, the world is flat, the world is flat. 99.9999% of the people go, yeah, right. We've seen pictures from space. The world is clearly not flat. You'd get one person to go, is it really? Oh, is is it? Oh my God. You, you think so too? I, I've always had, I, I always thought that. They will buy that narrative. The world is flat. Even though there is countless, and I mean countless articles, and consensus among the scientific community. Even though we can see with our own eyes, the world is clearly not flat. There will be that one person who go, oh, the world is flat. You're right. Oh my God, it is. Why is that? Because someone will buy that narrative. There is always, even if it's the smallest percentage of people, there is always a chunk of people who will buy a narrative. And what you've seen is certain people have bought the narrative. That despite there have been horrific things happening, that the police are not systematically racist. There are bad cops. 
and good cops will tell on bad cops, will call them out. But there is problems in the police unit. We can discuss that. You want to know actually one of the biggest problems in the policing unit? And this is someone who proudly supports your law enforcement. You want to know one of the biggest problems? Oh my God. Here's, here's where my radical right wing come out again. Unions. Union, unions. Yes, I said it. Unions defending bad cops. Because heaven forbid any cop who's a member of a union should be fired. You want to know part of the problem? Bad government laws, which you discussed last week, and government unions protecting every policeman. You want to actually discuss police brutality? Let's start there, shall we? But instead of actually having an honest conversation, instead of actually bringing, oh, I don't know, facts to the case, you have political hacks out there who run in certain political parties, who are on certain CNN and different networks going, oh, the police, oh, the police are bad. And what happens? What happens when you constantly tell people the police are bad? Do you think the trust is going to go up or down? Hmm. I don't know. I think, John, I think you could go around trashing the police and the trust is going to go up. Absolutely, I think it could. Not going to happen. When you have wall-to-wall coverage of police bad, oh, police, police systematically racist. But when you start perpetrating all these lies on lies on lies on lies, despite the facts saying otherwise, but you build this narrative. It's totally natural if you're building this narrative for eventually someone to go, oh my God, they're right. Oh my God. Oh, oh my God. This is, this is horrific. You know what we need to do? We need to take people out. We need to start taking people out. And then this is what happened in Compton last week. This If we lived, and I hate using these words, but if we lived in a logical, sane, humane environment, the vast majority of people would look at that horrific video and go, this is not right. They would be screaming it from the pulpits. As much as you scream police brutality, what happened in Compton? Is that what you want? Is that the world you want to live in? Because to my friends on the left who love the line, oh, if this could just save one kid, if this law could just save one kid, it'd be worth it. That was one kid. That was two kids. That was two brothers and a sister. That was maybe a mother. That was a son or a daughter. That was a cousin, a friend. A fiancé, a partner, a best friend. Do those lives mean nothing to you? Do those lives mean absolutely anything? That you were okay with someone just taking pop shots? And I love the coverage in the media. Oh, you know, this just random act, random act of violence. No, let's call this what it was. An attempted assassination. Are you okay with that? But let's talk about the end results of your narrative, shall we? Let's take, for example, everything you say is fact, which it's not. But let's say that the police are racist. Every one of them. Statistically impossible, but let's play along. Because I just want to make a bigger point. That every policeman or woman is racist. 
that they're just out there to get black people. And that they have a little journal. Yay, how many black people did I lynch today? And you have someone watching it. And they're growing up. And they're going to go, I can't believe the police are this bad. I'm going to be a police person. I'm going to make the change from the inside. Because you know what? We can cry and kick and scream and protest and have our fancy hashtags. The only way you're going to get the police to change is change them from the inside. I'm going to become a police person. I'm going to become the best police person I can. I'm going to rat out every bad cop, every racist cop. And I'm going to work hard and build my way up to, you know, through all the promotions until I'm basically commissioner. That kid that has that dream, that's telling themselves that narrative, they're going to be the change from the inside. And they see that assassination attempt. Do you think they're still going to want to do it? You're the parents of that kid who's always, I want to be a cop, I want to be a cop, I want to be a cop. Are you letting your kid become a cop? You see, the problem that I have is that this narrative is not helpful. This narrative has no means, has no positive ending. Where do you take, if you believe this narrative, where is your natural conclusion? Oh, that's right. Hashtag defund the police, right? Who do you think that's going to affect the most? How many people do you think this is going to affect if you have no police? You know, this narrative from my friends on the left, you're like, oh, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. This is sucks. But defund the police, really. The rich people, do you think they're going to struggle for poli- without police? They just hire private security. Because they're rich, they can do that. But the poor, the poor people, you know, the people who work for minimum wage, you know, the people you claim to represent, you know, who are, you know, in social housing or whatever you guys call it over there, where the government pays for it or subsidizes it. You know, the people who are low income families in these crime ridden areas, who are they going to call? Or are they just sitting ducks or are they just collateral damage because, hey, we got to take out the police. Where's your natural conclusion for this? Where do you bring justice? You know, you're saying no justice, no peace. What does justice look like to you? Does justice look like what we saw in Compton? Because if I were you, I'd take a really good long look in the mirror and go, what are you doing? What is your end game? Because my end game has been clear. My end game has been the same from the start. The rule of law. If you have a problem with law, cool. I got no problem with that. Let's change the law. Let's let's work around it. But I will make sure that innocent people are safe. I will make sure that people are secure in their homes. I will make sure that they are not victims by proxy. That where, hey, you know, you go into some of these neighborhoods and somebody does something really wrong. And guess what? Everyone all of a sudden goes, no, I didn't see anything. But you were looking right at it, the security. I saw nothing. I went blind. Or I forgot. I got temporary amnesia that day. And then crime just grows and grows and grows. Is that what you really want? This should serve as a wake-up call. Because if you want police assassinated in the streets, which I have no doubt some BLM uppers really want, because they don't give a crap about humanity, but we need to deal with them. And when I say deal with them, let me be crystal clear so no one's putting words in my mouth. 
We need to deal with their crappy, bullcrap ideology. But also, what really happened last week, as bad as that was, we need to have a conversation about what happened after. You see, we have to understand that there are people buying this narrative that police are inhumane. That police are basically some subhuman scum. And if you looked on social media, you saw videos where people actively try to block the ambulance from getting to the emergency room. You want to hear something controversial? I don't care who's in the ambulance. If for whatever reason you're, someone's in an ambulance and it's got its sirens going and you get in the way and you don't get out of the way, sorry, I don't care if you die. I don't care if you die. If you get in the way of an ambulance or a fire, fire, fire truck or a police car with its sirens on, you deserve everything you get. The idea that you should be, oh, okay, we're going to stop and we're going to sub, you know, okay, you, you want to make your little pronoun? Okay, we'll make it. No, get out of the way. Life is worth fighting for. I don't care whether you're a police person, whether you're an average person, whether you're just a person on the street, you do not get in the way of an ambulance. You do not get in the way of a fire truck. Seconds count. Seconds are the difference between living and dying. And you want to make a phony little protest? Oh, we don't care. You saw the most radical elements of BLM and this Marxist organization last weekend. It's time to wake up. And it's time to stop going, well, this is the left for you, John. Let's not tar everyone with the same brush. You know what? One of the biggest frustration things that your narrative is that's in bullcrap in your politics and why I stay away from it? You all get upset. My friends on the right get upset when they tar you all with the same brush as Donald Trump supporters. You get all, well, we're different. We're, you know, there's so many people who are Donald Trump supporters. Yes, I know. I have many friends who are Donald Trump supporters who will vote for Donald Trump, who didn't vote for him in 2016, who intend to vote for him this time, and vice versa. I've got many people. I know you're not the same brush. And you hate it when you're tired of the same brush. Yet you still do the same with the friend, my friends on the left. You tire them. And what's happening, and I can tell you this from my circle of friends on both sides of the aisle, is the good people, the people who need to be heard right now, are silent. Why is that? Because anytime they speak out, they get dogpiled on. They get dogpiled on, and some of them have said to me, it's just not worth it. Well, whose heart am I going to change? Who, why, why? I get you, I listen to your show, and I get the whole reasonable approach, John. I get talking logic, and I get the way you talk calm, and I like listening to you, but I ain't doing that. Go on social media and share a calm opinion. What happens? Everyone dogpiles. I've too much going on in my life. I've got feeds to kid. I've got kids to feed. I've got a wife or a husband to look after. We have our own problems. We've never lost our jobs with COVID. I have my own problems, John. I'm not going, I'm not going to be a piranha on, on social media. I get you need people to speak out, but I'm not doing it. I'm not the guy. Someone else can do it. And then someone, every, the other, someone else says, oh, someone else can do it. The people that we hear on social media, we need to stop paying attention to them. We need to start having honest, substantive conversations. Because I pray to break this to you, and I'm not pulling a guilt trip on you. This is your country, not mine. Your country. What country do you want to live in? What narrative do you want to buy? Do you want to buy the narrative of hate? Of tearing everyone down? 
Or do you actually want to have a conversation and use last weekend this most horrific, barbaric thing? And if they find the person they do, which I believe they will, because I actually have faith in the police. If they find this person, I hope they throw the book at him. They throw the book at him. And he spends the rest of his life or her life in jail. Because it's California, that's why I'm saying jail. But you have an opportunity to make one little small positive impact from what happened last weekend. And that is to go, is this what you want? It's time to have conversations. Is this what you want? You may hate the police, but is that what you want? Really? Is that your end goal? Choice is yours. Or you can just ignore everything I've just said and buy into the narrative of hate, of division. But let me warn you, I'm going to quote scriptures here for you. No matter how much a house is good, a house divided cannot stand. from one horrific story to another wow how how awesome is her world right now you know if 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 there is a god i believe there is if you're a god in heaven you got to be looking down at your creation going wow how proud am i huh how proud am i but i want to before i share the last troubling story of the day actually it wasn't the last it wasn't anywhere near to the last but it's the one week the last one i can share of the day I want to share another parallel with you. I work around retail. And when you work around retail, there's a general rule which you, everyone, if you've been around it, or even if you're a member, a customer of retail, you understand. Because you're probably like this as well. Customers love to bitch. Love to complain. Love to whine. We're having, going through a phase right now, which we go through every year, where customers whine, moan, bitch, complain, kick, scream, and every other adjective that you can imagine about one thing. If you go into any retail shop in Ireland right now, and I'm guessing it's the same in in England and in America, I guarantee you there's a very common consensus. Left or right, rich or poor, black or white, they all have one thing in common. (laughs) Excuse me. What is that? Oh my god, I can't believe it's like September 19th. And there's Christmas chocolates on the shelf already. This is scandalous. This is disgraceful. This behavior is totally unacceptable. Oh my God, can't they just let Christmas be Christmas? Have you heard that narrative? I've heard that so much. I hear people do it in the shops. Oh my God, the selection boxes are out. Oh my God, it's only September. Can we not get Halloween over first? You heard that narrative? You heard that line? What I always find funny about that is... Because I understand retail, because I work around that and I work around sales in retail, I know how people think. If there was no market for those boxes of chocolates, those selection boxes, those boxes of biscuits, the purchasing people in the retail would not buy them. How do I know this and how can I say for sure? Because I work around the back of retail in sales. And I know space in a warehouse is one of the most valuable commodities to people in retail. Space on shelves is very valuable commodity. 
They are not wasting it if they think, oh, we're just going to buy these boxes just to wind all our customers up. No. They understand the value. Every shelf has a cha-ching value. Oh, the rich get richer. Oh, my God. And you defend capitalism, John? Yes, I do defend it. Every shelf has a price. Every inch, every square inch out the back has a bigger price. They're not stocking it for fun. They're not stocking it just to wind everyone up. They're stocking it because there's a demand for it. And they know exactly when that demand starts. And then they start pushing it into the shops. And then the shops start selling it. And then they see, is there a demand? Is it like last year? They start with small orders. They start small. Oh, okay, cool. We're online with last year. Let's push this amount in. Let's push this amount in. Let's push this amount in. Why? Because there is a ma- demand. Customers may kick and scream and, oh my God, isn't it so scandalous? And this is disgraceful. As they walk out the retail outlet with about four boxes of chocolates. You're all so outraged, yet you still buy them. Why did I share that parable? Because I want to talk to you about what's going on in America and around the world. Story I'm going to really struggle with. There's this movie called Cuties on Netflix. Oh, it's Cuties. It's cute. It's wonderful. It has to be a re- with a, mo- a movie named Cuties has to be real cute, right? No, not so much. I've seen the response to this online. Seen the response. Seen Reason Magazine say a few interesting things. I've seen conservatives say a few interesting things. I've seen Ted Cruz say a few things. At what point can we stop looking to government? John Adams, may as well bring him up because it is Constitution Week. John Adams said America and the Constitution are only fit for a moral and religious people. Why do we always have to look for government to be the problem or in the solution? Why do we always have to look for government to be the almighty answer? When I see this story, when I see this video, and full disclosure, I have not watched it. I don't have Netflix. And going forward, I don't have any intention of having Netflix, but I've seen enough and I've read enough about it. When I see this story... When I see this story, I don't know what to think. I don't think of government as the answer. I think the problem is that we have for so long abandoned moral logic, moral reason. And that what you see right now, if I was to place blame on anyone, I would place the largest proportion of blame on the church. Because we have so lost our standing in society. It's incredible. But instead of looking for a government answer that we think some law can legislate, some law can regulate and solve this problem, you're wrong. And I say this as someone who has researched this topic quite a lot. If you haven't read anything about child pornography or sex slavery 
I encourage you, if you can, if your heart is strong enough to read more. There are a few things that annoy me more than the callous attitude of people who don't understand sex slavery. And I've had a few private discussions about a few people and a few people don't see the big deal. If you don't see the big deal about this story, I encourage you, read more. You need to educate yourself. Read some of the accounts. Read some of the lifestyles of what some of these kids have gone through. And if you don't read them, and I apologize for addressing this more towards men, but women, it's apt for you too. If you read some of these accounts, and in your heart and your soul doesn't turn to anger, and you're like, oh, I could rip that guy's head off. Just give me five minutes with him. If that isn't your response and part of you, and I say this as someone who isn't the biggest fighter, but if you don't read those stories and go, I want to destroy that person. I want to destroy that person who owned that kid. Who made that, who sold that kid to be raped night after night. I don't want to see him in jail. I want to see him pulverized to a pulp. To send the strongest message to his friends, to his cohorts, and to the world that this does not stand. If this doesn't make you legitimately like want to go to war, I don't know what you can read that will. But when I see this story, I don't look for government to be, oh, we just need this law. You really think if you do your research, a law is going to solve anything? There is a demand for this. There is a demand... For some people, and I, I get it, I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum. I like people who are older than me. I've always dated women who are older than me. I get it, I'm a freak. But I don't get people who are looking at kids and go, Oh, Jesus, oh, oh, what I do to her, or what I do to him, or ooh. Don't get it. Again, I know I'm the opposite side of the spectrum. But you looking at kids, really? Is that all you can get your kicks on? In this world, this is the only thing that gets you going, huh? All the stuff, all the porn that's out there. All different, horrifically sick types of porn. And you think you you have to get your kicks off, kids? We can moan and bitch about this, but there's always going to be demand for it. How do you solve it? This is the cultural problem of every government problem that we have in society right now. Everyone will think you legislate it, you create a law. Let's make it illegal. Yeah, because making things illegal always stamps them out, right? Hmm. Did it work on drugs? Hmm. Yeah, let me let me give you a more a funny to lighten up the mood, a more funny American example. Hmm. Prohibition did that work, or did y'all think bootlick bootlickers were great? Hmm. I always used to think. You remember reading American history, going they were always cool. You know, you know, people making alcohol in their tubs and stuff. That was always cool, right? Yeah, freedom. Rules work. What rule do you do it? Thou shalt not look at a kid and lust after them. Really? How do you police that? Let's get practical. But as I was reading all this information, and as I, as I, you know, I even saw like Tulsi Gabbard uh, tweeting about it, and I started researching it, I wrote a list of the failures in society. You want to think that some government law is going to fix this? 
I saw the failures, and I don't see how. And by the way, if I'm wrong, please tell me. Of all the people who failed for this movie to happen. The person in the company who produced it. There's a failure on them. Oh, yeah, this is great. This is wonderful. This is my finest work. I'm so proud of this. I'm so proud to put my name on this. The person and the producers and the people behind the scenes who saw this script and went, you know what we need to do? We need to turn this into a movie. How proud must you have been? All the studio executives who read this script and went, you know what? Let's let's give this budget of X amount of money. Let's make this, let's turn this vision, this masterpiece into a reality. The director who was given the script going, we have this thing, we want you to direct it. Who said yes. I see a failure of all the adult actors who were involved. I see failures of people who I'm probably been a bit unfair to, but failures of people who are sound, lighting, makeup, hair, all the people around the scenes who are that's that's my work. I'm on the I'm, I'm on the roll at the end of that movie. I, I did the hair and makeup. I think of the failures of the families of all those kids who saw their kids kids twerking and in makeup and you know provocatively dressed. That's absolutely fine. It's just a movie. Nothing wrong with my daughter or son doing that. Absolutely. You know, let's go for it. Yeah, I know they've been a bit slutty, but you know, it's all it's all good. It's only a movie. They know they know the difference between real life and you know makeup and pretend movies. I see the failures of Netflix bosses. You notice when all the outrages about Netflix, mine were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They were eighth on my list. I see failures of advertisers. In this world where everyone wants to cancel everyone. Oh my god, you named a rice bean after something. Oh, you're, you're, we can't have you. Oh my god, your butter is named what? Oh my god, we must stop you. Oh my god, the Washington Redskins? Oh, how racist are you? Advertisers? Even the phony advertisers, like where my old boss, Glenn. Or my current boss, sorry. It's part of a whole different team there. Where... Mercedes-Benz would announce we're never advertising on Glenn Beck on Fox News. Even though they never advertised on Glenn Beck and Fox News. They came out and said it because they wanted to make sure they were never there. Where is that phony advertising? And we're never, ever, ever going to be associated with cuties. And all the critics who gave this an award. Oh, it's such a masterpiece. Let's give this an award. Because of all things that need credibility right now, this is it. How do you solve this? If you're thinking, hey, I actually believe in government has a role. What's the government law to fix this? Or wait. What we have in society is a failure of morals and a failure of the church. And I say this as Someone who is who has very little faith in the human church right now. When I see popes out there criticizing, oh yeah, go, you should have pleasure from sex, and Solia should have pleasure from food, and oh, absolutely, you know, our church has been very wrong on this in the past, and is silent on this type of stuff. I say this as someone who looks around at the church and going, "What are you standing for?" 
all you're you're so outspoken on politics but where's your real morals what are you teaching how do you solve this how you solve this is with a lot of hard work you see the thing is i'm a freedom guy the show is freedom's disciple there's a name there's a reason i named it freedom's disciple and not liberty disciple i'm a freedom guy as vile and disgusting as this is I will never call for a government to say this piece should never be seen. It's just not my job. I don't ever see government as the solution. I see this as a much bigger problem than I've seen been posted on and been discussed online. All the outrage at Netflix. I'm outraged at everyone. But most of all, I'm outraged because the leaders, and I don't mean political leaders, I mean the leaders in society. We have lost the argument. And we're not even trying to discuss how we get it back. We need to get morals back in society. We need to talk about freedom, but we also need to talk about responsibilities. Because as I look at all these things, I can guarantee you everyone on that list that I said, from the the person who produced the script, to the people who wrote the script to actually turn it into a movie, to the advertise or to the executives who approved the script, to the executives who gave it a budget to the director who said yes, to the actors who said yes, to the family who said yes on behalf of their kids, to the Netflix bosses, to the advertisers. They all could use the justification of one thing. They just wanted to get money. Just doing a business decision. It's all easy to hide behind business. Oh, we're just trying to make money. Go read Adam Smith. Read more. Learn learn more. Educate yourself. The invisible hand of the market. But moral sentiments is absolutely critical. If our world knew Adam Smith and what Adam Smith spoke about, our world would be in a much better place. I am for people making freedom to make their own decisions, even if they're boneheaded decisions. But we must have morals. Morals have a place in our society. And I say this as someone who understands that that's maybe not a popular message. But if you want to be a Christian nation... If you want to be a Judeo-Christian nation, you need to have morals and you need to have principles. And how we do that is not through law, is not through executive theos, it's through changing hearts and minds. Because everyone should be outraged at this. Everyone should be going, what are you thinking? But guess what's going to likely happen? Nothing. Nothing. And a load of people will watch. A lot of people will watch because, hey, I'm going to watch this because it can't be that bad. And that's going to go keep it going up the ratings and up the ratings and amount of views. And people go, I, I think you're being a bit extreme, John. I'm going to watch that and see. And people will watch it. And it'll go up and up and up and to demand. But also we need to understand that there are people out there who are normal people on the outside who get their kicks from this type of stuff. We need to make it harder, not through government rules, but through society, to make it harder. And one day, please God, if I believed in the utopian vision, I would say maybe one day make it totally just not around. But as long as there's money, people will find a way to get it. But as make it as hard as possible and limited in, in demand for this type of stuff. Because if you read any story from that person who has survived this horrific childhood, I've been raped maybe once a night, twice a night, four times a night, ten times a night. It's not a pleasant existence. 
how do you solve it? But also we need to understand if you're a Christian, and I don't care whether you're a Christian as in a Catholic or a Baptist or a Protestant or a Mormon, whatever Christian you are, we need to understand that what we are seeing right now is a failure of leadership and that the vacuum where the church used to be has been filled with really bad people. And it's time to get back to our core message, get away from the politics and start getting back to preaching for God. Or maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, hey, maybe let's get Ted Cruz to write a new law and we'll solve all the problems. And everything I said, it just needs to be ignored. What say you? Until next week, we salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never ever forget, America is good. America is great because Americans are good. That's you, the moral and righteous people. Happy Constitution Day. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.